It's the detective work for me that's the most fun. And then trying to put together a narrative that connects the pieces. What can be hard is deciding what you want to say because history only matters in the present, you know, in the context. And so what intervention do I want to make? Why do I think people should be thinking about Nkrumah and intimacy and state power at the height of the Cold War? Why do I think they should be doing that? That's the hardest part, I think, and the most interesting. You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought. From Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm your host, Rebecca King. And last summer, I hosted a podcast called Retellings. And I spoke to writers about their work and the creative process. This summer, I'm returning to writing, which is one of my personal passions, to explore writing from history. I'll talk to biographers, historians, fiction writers, poets, memoirists, and playwrights to discover how these different writers use the past in their work. To start the series, I met with Jean Allman, a professor of history and the new director of the Center for the Humanities at Washington University in St. Louis. I tend to grow into a project, at least that's been the pattern for a couple decades now. I'll find a little something and I'll think, oh, that's an interesting little something, and I'll start digging around. And sometimes it explodes into a big set of questions and sometimes it doesn't. Professor Allman's area of expertise is West African history. And today we'll be focusing on her newest book project set in 1960s Ghana, shortly after it gained its independence from colonial rule. So the one that I'm working on now, the bigger project, is about the 1960s, shortly after Ghana's independence. People came from all over the world to Ghana. I mean, all kinds of people. Maya Angelou, Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, who was still then Cassius Clay. People came from all over to visit. People came from all over to live and to stay because they thought that this was the place where the future of the world was going to be made. And this was in the context of the Cold War, that it wasn't going to be you know, a U.S.-made world. It wasn't going to be a Soviet-made world, that there was another way to do it. And the leader of this new country and the centerpiece of Professor Allman's research was a man named Kwame Nkrumah. Kwame Nkrumah was born in what was then the Gold Coast, just a little after the turn of the century, 1909, and ended up coming to the United States and studying. As a student, he was at Lincoln University. He returned to Ghana after the Second World War, 1947, and became a leader in the independence struggle. And he would end up becoming the leader of government business and then the prime minister when Ghana achieved independence in 1957. He would become its first president in 1960 when it became a republic. And then he was overthrown in a military coup in 66 and died in Romania in 1972. In 2000, the BBC World Service did a call-in where people could vote on who Africa's Man of the Millennium was. And most people assumed it would be Nelson Mandela. But callers actually voted for Nkrumah, who was described as the hero of independence and an international symbol of freedom 
as the leader of the first black African country to shake off the chains of colonial rule. But Professor Allman's research focuses not on Nkrumah himself. Rather, she's interested in the circles of people he surrounded himself with. And one woman in particular caught her attention. So I'm, I'm reading in the archives and I keep track because I'm trying to establish the networks of people who show up. So I, I keep a list of all these people and it's a growing list and thanks to Google, you know, you can kind of see who they might be. And I kept coming across this woman named Hannah Reich. At first I didn't think anything of her. And then I found some letters in the archives. Now I'll say that the Ghana archives are not in very good shape partly because they have been severely underfunded, but also because there was a series of military coups. And every time the military comes into power, they ransack you know, government offices and the papers that should be carefully deposited and vetted by archivists, that process doesn't happen. So I found some intriguing letters from her to Nkrumah that were very intimate, very close. And I thought, well, who is this woman? Just thinking she's some German you know, development expert. And then it turns out that she had been invited by Nkrumah to come to Ghana to start a flying school, a gliding school. I thought, well, that's really weird. Who is she? So I just Googled her. Well, it turns out that Hannah Reich was not just a Nazi pilot, but she was awarded the Iron Cross. She was the last person to fly a plane out of Berlin at the end of the war. She did that with a general, a Nazi general, who was supposed to be the, the final effort against the Americans. And that plane was shot down. She spent 18 months being interrogated by Allied forces. And then she ends up in Ghana in 1963 running a gliding school. Of the cast of characters who arrived in Ghana in the 1960s, Hannah Reich doesn't fit the expected narrative. So Professor Allman began to uncover more of this woman's life to understand how she fit into this network around Nkrumah. So I dug more and more around her and came to understand that she was extremely close to Nkrumah. And I found more letters eventually in the archives, not many, but I visited the site where she had set up her gliding school, where she trained future pilots. She worked with the Ghana Air Force and was there until the coup that overthrew Nkrumah in 1966. But what became even more intriguing to me, because this I thought was just a little paper about this Nazi pilot, but the people who she became very close to in Ghana also surprised me. For example, Shirley Graham Du Bois, Dr. W.B. Du Bois' wife and Hannah Reich were extremely good friends, spent loads of time together, and that just completely defies like everything you imagine about the post-World War II world. So it's in reconstructing those communities, and sort of intimate communities, who surrounded Nkrumah in the 1960s, that's kind of become the heart and soul of, of the project. And interestingly, several of the people who sort of formed a tight cohort around Nkrumah were foreign women, women who weren't Ghanaian women. And so, you know, why that was the case and what they were doing has sort of become a, a major part of the project I'm working on. However, as she dug deeper, Professor Allman found herself running into certain dilemmas. It wasn't that she couldn't find enough information. In fact, she began to wonder if she was finding too much. Well, in this particular project especially, 
I'm reading things that, you know, they're not government documents. They're often personal letters, which you come to understand people did not necessarily give their permission for those personal letters to be included in a particular archive. So as a historian or biographer, do we owe the subject of our work a certain amount of privacy? Morally, do we have the right to publish works that were never intended for the public's eye? In previous projects, studying collective and social histories, Professor Allman says she's been able to use anonymity or pseudonyms to protect a person's identity. But since I'm tracing specific people and their intimate connections around a head of state, and those people are in powerful positions, I'm sort of confronted with the ethics of using personal correspondence that was not necessarily intended, right? So an example of that would be Nkrumah's private secretary was also very good friends with Hannah Reich and wrote extensively to her after the military coup in 66. They stayed in contact, particularly about Nkrumah. Have you heard anything from him? Nkrumah lived in exile in Guinea for quite a while after he was overthrown. You know, have you heard, has so-and-so been to see him? That was the nature of the letters, but there was also a lot of personal detail about mental health issues, about love, about things that, well, let me just say that at the end of, of one particular letter, the private secretary says, Dear Hannah, after you read this, please destroy it. Well, I'm sitting, you know, in Munich in 2012 reading the letter. It clearly was not destroyed. And it makes me think about other letters I've read, even though the person didn't instruct the recipient to destroy, like how many of those private letters were intended for for my eyes? And what are my obligations to that person? Usually, documents are fully reviewed and vetted before they end up in public archives. But during the coup in 1966 in Ghana, the military came through and ransacked all of the administrative offices and Nkrumah's residences. These papers were then gathered, and documents were scattered throughout the National Archive. Professor Allman believes they were never properly vetted. Generally, archives People carefully go through, they list the documents, they look at them, they either decide they are of no historical interest and they're destroyed. They decide, yes, they are of interest, but we need to hold them for 30 years, we need to hold them for 50 years, or they are so dangerous we should just get rid of them. Most archives will not say they do that, but they do. But that process didn't unfold properly in the case of some of the things that I've found in the National Archives. And if they had been properly vetted, I wouldn't have seen them. So on the one hand, it's like, woo, this is great. And then on the other hand, it's like, well, can I use this? Professor Allman says these questions about the ethics of publishing someone else's private materials, even after they are dead, will have big implications for future historians. It's an, it's an interesting question if you don't sort of trust a state archive to do the vetting of people's personal papers. And I think that that's become a more pressing issue as we, you know, as we think about the NSA and the violations of privacy and the kind of surveillance that's going on today and, and what really ethically or morally a historian can and should use just because it shows up in an archive. 
Many thanks to Professor Jean Allman for taking the time to meet with us. And thanks to you for tuning in. Join me next week as I talk to biologist and biographer Sean B. Carroll, who traced the friendship between Nobel Prize winners through the height of the French resistance during World War II. As always, you can find Hold That Thought on SoundCloud, iTunes, PRX, and Stitcher. Have thoughts of your own after today's podcast? Well, join the conversation with us over on Facebook or Twitter.